Hi, everybody. This is Travis with The Broom Show. This is a podcast where active duty military members and veterans can share their stories, their experiences, transitioning from active duty military life into that of a veteran. So please follow, subscribe. Thank you. Hi everybody. Um, today we got Rowena from SOS um, joining us. I'm super excited because of all the. It's like new. It's not, I guess, new a new topic, but starting to become a little bit more in the forefront of a lot of conversation. So, mm-hmm. um, with that being said, yeah, I want to you to if you can introduce yourself a little bit, something about you and. Sure. Um, I am Rowena. I am um, a 20-year retired veteran. I retired from the Army Reserve in October of 2020. Um, I'm a single mom of two girls, ages 8 and 16. So, <laughs> and you can see on my sometimes on my posts, I'm a, a mom of a pit bull as well, who's also a female, um, two-year-old pit bull. I currently work for the federal government full time, and I also, like you see on my shirt, of course, um, run a nonprofit um, called We Believe You SOS. Um, I'm a survivor of domestic violence, so um, founding this organization was really important to me. But yeah, that's just a little bit about my background and, and who. I am. Well, that's cool. I mean, um, so what led you to join the military? Um, I guess at one point, I mean, everybody has a different story. It's kind of always intriguing to hear what they, led an individual to do it. So, <laughs> I, so sometimes when I hear people's stories, I'm like, oh gosh, I feel so selfish for even kind of telling my story because it seems like you know, a spoiled brat. But uh, I came from a very good household, you know, a very good home. Um, life growing up was a super spoon. I had everything I needed, everything I wanted. Um, I was in college, actually, and me being me and me being the perfectionist, I had failed a few courses, and that never happened to me before in college. So I had failed courses like my junior year. So I was like, you know what? Let me just take a break because I don't know what's going on. Um, somebody had mentioned to me about the military, and for some reason, I don't know if it was despite my parents, but I decided to join the military in 19... What was it? 1999 2000 and right when i joined what's funny is when i joined my sister was like oh you know what guess what you're never you're never going to get deployed you're never going to go on any deployments um i've never been on one comrades have been on one Um, (laughs) and of course when i joined like a year or two later 9 11 hit and of course me being where i was located i deployed for my very first deployment so um, I was deployed there to um, Kuwait, and then probably 2009, 2010, um, I went to Afghanistan. But I really, I really joined the military because I was, I kind of lacked a sense of purpose while I was in college for some reason. I was going through some kind of phase, and I was like, let me just go sign up for the military and, and see what happens. That decision has, has really been, you know, as much as we can talk about the military in a negative sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, that decision has really been kind of the best decision that I have made, you know, so far. So it's, it's really been not only good for my civilian career, but also for, of course, my military career, but also kind of the driving force for the things that I do now and why I do what I do. That's what's kind of cool about like the different reasons too, because I have had uh, some friends that joined later as well. You know, they're in their twenties and they were going to college and they're like, to kind of like you're saying struggling to find a purpose or something yep. like that along those lines yep. and it's weird because then when you get out like when i got out and started going to college you can kind of understand why it's like man at 25 or 23 years old maybe you know you're just like this isn't it maybe i will join the military military and find a purpose find some type of a like a path or something right you know? absolutely um that's what's so cool about because everybody thinks it's right out of high school. Everybody does that. It's like, but it's completely different for everybody. 
different for everybody and not everybody goes right out of high school just mm -hmm. everybody thinks that you know everybody has the same story with the military like you said graduating from high school um, doesn't really know what they want to do out of life parents are forcing them to do something so the parents are forcing them to join the military but it was totally the opposite for me like my parents didn't know anything about the military and really needed to die. I hadn't grown up with anyone in the military. None of my family members have ever been in the military. Um, so really for me, it was just trying to find some kind of purpose and, and meaning. And I, I think that I was led to the military for a reason, um, which is why, like I said, I'm, I am here where I am today. Yeah. And then I know you had talked about like yourself even being a survivor of domestic violence. Is that something that occurred while you were um, deployed or if you don't mind me asking? No, no, that's fine. So what I will say, um, when I got married, I got married in 2009, and that was right at the brink of my second deployment. So my domestic violence really occurred throughout my entire deployment. Um, my husband was never in the military. He never understood the military. And sometimes it's difficult when you are in the military to have someone that's not military because they don't always have an understanding of the things you have to do and the things that are required of you. So when I got deployed, um, he was really upset. He was really kind of pissed off. Um, we would have <laughs> arguments even when I was overseas. And one of the arguments even led to, I don't even know what happened, but one of the arguments even led to like um, me being put on suicide watch because it was that bad because it was, it was verbal abuse and it was emotional abuse. So he really couldn't do anything to me physically while I was overseas. Way it was taking a toll on me while I was deployed, and all the stress I was going through while I was deployed, you know, was taking a toll on me. So I was on suicide watch um, for about a day or two, and then when I got back, of course, it intensified. Um, there were a few times that it was physical, uh, maybe one or two, but then after that, it was really just more emotional. And a lot of people, when they have domestic violence, they really don't talk about the emotional side. Of domestic violence um the emotional side has stuck with me longer than the physical side and i always mm -hmm. have the mental scar still even to this day you know we're in a good place raising our daughter but even to this day there'll be certain triggers or things that will happen or things that he'll say or things that he'll do that will remind me of the abuse that happened all while i was in the military and all while i was still serving and now, luckily for me, I was in the reserve, so I did one week in a month and two weeks out of the year. But there were times where I would actually have to make up a reason not to get into um, work or not to go into drill or I call it annual training, you know, when you serve two weeks out of the year as an Army reservist because I had a black eye or I was in the hospital. So, yeah, I was so probably 10 out of my 20 years that I was in the military. It was, I was dealing with the all while the military and no one even, no one, no one knew about it until I got out in 2020 because <laughs> it's easier. It's a lot easier to speak on topics like this as a veteran than it is to speak as someone who's still serving. So once I got out, I decided, you know, I'm just going to speak and start talking about it and open up about it and start sharing because really for me, that's healing and I hope it always helps. Yeah, I think the part too that's like, like you said, nobody the the emotional part of it because I think everybody associates you know violence is physical every single time. Yep. But there's different levels to it. You know, there's the emotional side, the mental abuse. Like you're saying, you're overseas and he's oh. you're still getting abused. And like I wonder with with what your experience and those that you've talked to and other other individuals. Yeah. Like when you're serving and stuff like that, say you're overseas and like even your situation, does it even maybe put like a damper on on you being in the military? Or is there a part of you that's like, man, this is supposed to be like an exciting kind of journey I'm going on, you know, like uh, being in the military. But this is kind of putting a damper and negative, you know, what? like light on it. You know, what's funny, like even with the emotional abuse, um, I often, you know, always violence. Let's always talk about it, the sexual assault. I found that the military was like in this thing. So I would dread um, every day because I would be dealing with and I knew what I had to put up with. I would literally 
time, but I would literally find oh military or find things to do. And luckily, I have an older daughter and their parents, her parents are really supportive. Dad are really supportive. So they knew what I was going through, but I would find places in the military to do so at least. Today's episode is brought to you by Left Foot Right Foot Shirt Company. This is a veteran-owned, 100% nonprofit shirt company that donates all their proceeds from sales to charities focused on PTSD and mental health. These shirts are so soft, fit so well, and I guarantee they'll add a couple inches to your biceps. Go check them out and tell Mark I sent you at lfrfshirts.com. Just keep going. I can say, hey, this is duty. You know, this is calling me to serve and... It's mandatory that I go because I wasn't really allowed to go anywhere else. I couldn't take my daughter to activities. I couldn't go out with friends. Um, I was isolated from my family. So the military was really my only escape while I was dealing with that emotional abuse with domestic violence and some of it being physical too as well. So being in the military, it was, I wouldn't say it was a damper. It was an escape, number one. But on the flip it was also kind of difficult because even physical part, I didn't really want to open up to anything about it. I want to share that I to me, I was considered a senior leader, so I to, to drill. I can't go do my military duties and serve as a senior leader and, and have all these problems going on and appear weak when I have to lead soldiers and, and lead um, people to follow me. So I'm not going to tell them about everything that's going on with me. And then I didn't want to report it in because, you know, my job comes with a secret clearance. Like I have to have a clearance in order to have my job. And I was scared that if I did report, if I said I was report, if I did report, if I did say that I was going through this, it could affect my job and it could affect my clearance and it could affect my livelihood for being in the military. So I, I didn't share. So I would say that it, it's kind of twofold with the military. Um, it's a damper because I knew I couldn't report because I knew there might be repercussions, even though there really weren't. But on the flip side, I escaped. It was a reason why I was able to get out and have an excuse and a valid excuse to why I needed to get out of the house and escape. Yeah, that, I mean that's that that makes sense in in that in that aspect. You know, it's like it, it's a one place where things are regimented and yeah. you have certain tasks that you have to do. And that's all you focus on. Yep. Um, so also with that, you know, is there, are there individuals that you've, you talk to or help that have that happen while, like while they're overseas? I know that's like a, a topic that's starting to become more prevalent. It's like those, uh, the abuse that happens in Iraq with, or in Afghanistan amongst soldiers even. So I, I've talked to a few people overseas and I've, of course I've, it's difficult and challenging talking, you know, in the military and civil service. A lot of times they might be a survivor of the violence, but they might not be ready to talk about it. They might be ready to share because they are overseas, number one, and they feel, oh, if I share my story or if I going through, you know, it might be reported through my channel. Uh, even though it's like, I home um here so the one just confidence domestic violence so i don't really talk to anyone while they're employed even though there are several resources but a lot of people don't want to use the military resource because the um with the all the stick comes with it. They're scared sometimes, but they don't want it to be reported to anybody else. So I kind of talked them through it. I tell them the story and, and how I got through it while I was deployed, and that's helped. But I open up there when I report really until I'm kind of ready to do that. Okay. Sorry, I keep also, you know, I, I know we're talking about the different types of experiences individuals have and stuff. Um, so I'm also, I guess, in a sense, curious about like what happens, kind of like you alluded to, you know, so you go overseas, you have these experiences, 
for individuals where even, you know, you come back and you have PTSD from what you were exposed to overseas and then you top that off with, you know, domestic violence of any of any volume, any sort, or even amongst their peers, uh, sexual assaults and stuff like that. Um, have you, is it, do you find that like individuals that have that have a even tougher time just talking about any specific thing? Because now all those experiences are kind of, if you already have maybe a bad experience serving, you know, somebody gets hurt, you get hurt and then you're getting hurt by someone that you're supposed to be supporting you or your peers. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's a lot easier when we think about like PTSD, right? We only mm -hmm. think about, because I'm diagnosed with PTSD too, but it's for, well, it's domestic violence too as well, but I'm diagnosed with that too. And a lot of times when we think of PTSD, we only think of the PTSD that comes with um, serving in the military. Like we only think of the PTSD overseas or um, anything that has to do war related. Yeah. like war related right so a lot of times um a lot of survivors won't even know that ptsd can be associated with the war and serving overseas um a lot of ptsd and trauma from suffering with a sexual assault survivor um i have ptsd from being a domestic violence survivor um other other things coupled with it as well but i i think that a lot of times we aren't really given the information or knowledge about the different forms of PTSD that's out there. I think we only think of the PTSD that comes with serving. So even when you try to seek help, you don't really associate domestic violence or sexual assault with, with um, PTSD. But PTSD is a form of, you know, it's, it's trauma and sexual assault is a trauma domestic violence is trauma um so we don't really put two and two together and there's not really that i've seen there's not really anything that i've seen um in the military community that has kind of touched on that part of ptsd so i think a lot of survivors just don't really know that those kind of things exist and that you can be and diagnosed with ptsd as a military survivor but also one who might have suffered trauma from other things outside the war, such as domestic violence and, and sexual assault. And I, I think that we need to start getting that kind of more in the community and more out there that, you know, while it's PTSD from serving in the war and seeing, of course, lives lost, there's also the PTSD on the home front while serving in the military too. And, you know, a lot of my friends that I know and that I've talked to, especially the sexual assault survivor, because there's really not much conversation yet about domestic violence in the military um of course since the case with vanessa um sexual assault has has been on the forefront and um it's really to me been kind of more reactive than proactive yeah. they kind of want to make sure that now they implement all these things but it had to take her loss and um you know her sister speaking out and doing all the things that they're doing to make sexual assault even more prevalent in, in the military when it's been going on for years. The same with me with domestic violence. I don't, I don't really see too much talk about domestic violence in the military. And yet we have resources such as FAP um, is supposed to serve survivors of domestic violence in the military. But back to the question with the trauma. Um, the mm -hmm. only thing that I see, especially with the trauma, like you thought of, like you mentioned, is the fact that we just don't associate domestic violence and sexual assault with being a form of PTSD, mm -hmm. um, a form of trauma. And I think that that kind of message has to get more out there in the forefront. Yeah. The first time I really even thought about that, like different forms of PTSD was when I had a Mark Stefanshin from left foot, right foot on. And um, mm. he, the guy who make, I think he, uh. yeah, this guy right here, you know, he, he kind of opened my mind up to different, things because like i see his post too and it's like it could be something from your childhood like it, there's so many different forms of ptsd but yeah like you said over the years it's strictly been like military like exclusive you know like mm -hmm. oh you and and you also had to have 
had seen somebody get hurt or die or something happened significantly to you losing a limb or getting shot, but it never is really until I, I think it's like you said, starting to have those conversations where it's expanding to like, you know, sexual assaults, assault, domestic violence, something that happened to you as a child or even as adult, you know, it can happen to you tomorrow. Something can happen and it just ruins you and sticks with you. Oh. And I think it's important that we have those conversations because I think a lot of folks, like you're saying, even in the military, sexual assault has been one of those things that it's been like a hush hush thing for the longest of yeah. times. And I mean, I can think of a couple occasions in the Navy where they've had their share of stories that have come out over the years of things happening. And it's like individuals are afraid to say things too, though. I think that's, and that's why it is kind of reactionary, which is sad. But then when you're in the military and you see those things happen to somebody, you get kind of nervous too, because if you don't, if you say something, mm-hmm. it could be you on the chopping block as well. Yep. And then hazing happens and then you start getting picked on and getting all the crap jobs. And yes. yes. Yep. And it's like that in the civilian world to a, a degree, I would imagine as well. It is. It's just like that in the civilian world too. Like nobody, everyone is kind of afraid to speak up um, because of the repercussions that they think could happen to them. So mm-hmm. it, for me, it's a, I would say it's a little bit easier as a civilian. I, I can't say that. It's a little easier for me to talk in these kind of platforms and on different platforms, but when I'm at my job, you know, at my civilian job, and I see people, not for me personally, but, you know, if other people see things that's inappropriate, sometimes they won't say things because they don't want to be that odd person out. They mm-hmm. want to make sure that they're fitting in with um, what's going on at work. They want to make sure that, you know, especially if their supervisor or someone is making something that's inappropriate, you know, they don't want to say anything and report their supervisor because then they don't want to risk, you know, their supervisor retaliating against them. So in the civilian world, it's really all about For me, it's all about retaliation. Like if you say something, um, if you see something, then um, your fear is that you're going to get retaliated against, that um, everyone is going to know who told, and then you might be shunned from the group or your work peers. So you don't want to say anything in the civilian world either because you want to keep your job the best way you know how. Um, So you're trying to keep hush-hush. But some to me, it's a little bit easier in the civilian world. In the military, it's just really, really, people don't want to say anything because they just don't want that stigma and they don't want to be, like you said, on the chopping block. Mm-hmm. And then, like, even with being vocal, uh, I'd imagine, like, there's men that get have the same things happen to them that have, have happened to women and stuff like that and so on, you know, like they get abused of mm-hmm. some type of degree. Um like I wonder in your experience, have you come across those folks and, and how hard is, cause I, not to be like a masculine person, but like, Oh, you know, men just don't like to share things, but mm-hmm. I, I think there's some type of aspect to that. Like you're a man and you're like, Oh man, this happened to me, whether it's from a woman or another man. And you just, that stigma maybe yeah. gets associated with you afterwards. I, I think I've had a lot of men reach out to me offline, you know, oh, wow. Yeah, I've had quite a few, actually. Um, you know, they always say, this is what happened to me. I'm not ready to speak out because, of, of course, um, there are certain reasons that they state. But one of the main reasons is that, and this can be in the military, too, as well. Um, number one, when you refer to things and when you think about topics such as sexual assault, domestic violence, any kind of conversation you have, it's gotten better over the years, of course. But any kind of conversation you have always talks about it from the female's perspective, right? You never really hear um, professional speakers talk about um, it from the male perspective, or it'll always be like she or, or or her, or the pictures that you see will be all about females, or the conversation that you'll have will be all about females, or the healing seminars that you have will be all geared towards females and the way females heal and not really the way males heal. So a lot of times the men just find that there's not really many outlets that are out there for them to, to seek help. Um, There's also a thing where society often tends to demasculate women, women, men. um, It's okay. 
And it's great that women are speaking out and that women are seeking help and that women can be emotional and, and get upset and get frustrated. But, and we see that as a powerful thing, like women empowerment. However, if a man, man did the exact same thing, you know, they're seen as being weak. They're seen mm -hmm. as, you know, um, they need to suck it up. They need to drive on. They need to learn how to be a man. And there's so many other things and factors that come with men speaking up that it's really, really hard for them because society tends to demasculate them and not really think that sexual assault and domestic violence, especially, well, both really, but especially I've heard domestic violence, like men will come to me about domestic violence and they're like, you know, often sometimes there's been cases where we've both been in a physical altercation with each other and I'm the one, when the police are called, I'm the one taking in and, and nothing happens to the woman because they think, oh, wow. hey, this man is six foot six, the woman <laughs> five foot, you know, there's absolutely nothing that she can do to hurt him at all. So he has to be the perpetrator. He has to be the person that is um, is doing the abuse. So they take him in instead of taking her in. So when it comes to reporting for domestic violence, a lot of men find it difficult to do that because a lot of people think, society thinks that men can't be the abusers because they have the strength. But that is just really not the case. And mm. I've seen a lot of situations where women have been the abusers, but because um, we're often seen as like the damsel in distress or we're often seen as the weaker individual, there's no way that the man can be um, abused. So I, I think that men just don't like to talk about it because like, you know, like my organization says, we, you know, we believe you. They don't, no one believes them when they mm. come forward. No one believes that a man can be sexually assaulted because Back in the day, that just meant that, you know, it was frowned upon. Let's put it that way. I was going to say back in the day, it meant that you were, you know, gay or something like that. But with domestic violence and, and people talking about or men talking about domestic violence, they don't want to come out, too, because no one believes them and, and thinks it can happen to men. But I try to share as much as I can with the men that come to me. And I try to get them to open up. I try to have a few events every now and then featured with men. But sometimes for me, um, I find it difficult to have things for men because I can relate to, to things that I'm going through as a woman. I can relate to the healing process as a woman. And often if I do have these kind of things, I make sure that I have a male survivor on who tries to speak about it. Because I don't know their perspective. Like, I, I don't understand the perspective of what a man goes through when he needs to seek help or what happens with a man and how he's feeling when he's sexually assaulted. I don't, I just don't know. And mm -hmm. I don't have the capability to speak on that because I've never been through it. So often, if I do have events or if I do talk about sexual assault or domestic violence, I'll make sure I have a male survivor that's on. But for me, in a nutshell, men are just the math, not math. I don't know how to use the word. I know that they're, it's frowned upon when they seek help, number one. And number two, uh, a lot of people think they're weak when they seek help. So that's kind of the two main reasons that a lot of men don't seek help because of the way society makes them feel from seeking help and the fact that no one believes them when, you know, they do seek the help. Yeah. And then like the, the a lot of the veterans I've spoken to, over the episodes I've done so far and they talk about like their struggles and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. um, even kind of like you're saying, even when it just comes to um, things that they've encountered while overseas or and stuff like that, they even feel like, like nobody wants to hear them talk. And I'm sure that's, that's the same for a lot of individuals have had domestic violence cases and, and like we we're saying, it's a, another form of PTSD. It's it's one of those things. It's hard to admit when something's happened to you and speak about it to somebody. Um, like, I think I had talked to Mark about this actually as well. Is like, you know, you don't want to worry your, your friends, your family, your colleagues, whatever it is, you know, like. I you don't want that burden, put the burden of what you're going through on them. Cause then they start feeling it as well. And it, right. that's where that internal struggle with 
PTSD of any type of sort becomes super hard to navigate, I think. And, mm-hmm. but it's like, just say it, just come out and just, it, it's better to get it off your chest and let it dwell and eat you up. Cause I'm sure the numbers for individuals that go through any type of domestic violence or sexual assault and stuff have pretty high suicide rates. I would imagine as well. They do. Um, and I say that like a lot of people, when they don't speak out, especially with the PTSD part, society, like I said, relates PTSD to, to war and to war wounds and seeing mm-hmm. something negative overseas. So it's okay to talk about those because that's what society, to me, that's what society is used to. And that's what everybody's used to. So if I say, Hey, I have PTSD because I lost my battle buddy in, in combat then that's normal to everybody because that's what PTSD is supposed to be. But a lot of people don't want to, like you said, have the burden of of telling someone they have PTSD from domestic violence or or sexual assault because that's not seen as a quote-unquote real or normal PTSD because that's just not what associated with it. And yes, you're correct. I don't have the rates in front of me, but the rates with suicide are definitely high with domestic violence and, and sexual assault. And um, during my domestic violence, you know, during my marriage, I was once um, voluntarily took myself to the hospital um, because of the abuse that was going on at home. And I had a panic attack and I got admitted. I admitted myself. Then the second time I was involuntarily admitted to the hospital <laughs> by my ex-husband um, who put me in there. So jeez. Yeah, so I had to be stay. I had to stay overnight. I had suicidal ideations. They kept me overnight, and I mean, of course, I was released the next day. And even in the report, it said, you know, the patient is struggling from trauma from the abuse that happens at home with domestic violence. So I was scared to go home. I hated, I hated going home. I hated. But and how long would like so something like that happens? You know, like. They, they document it like, oh, there's a trauma happening at home. How often, I guess, or ballpark it, you know, like how often does that happen? So that the person, the victims having these reoccurring things, they go to a hospital and then the hospital recognizes it as something happening maybe at the house, but then they send them back. Like how often does that happen? Because I can see that making it the situation for the, the victim feeling even more stressful because like well they don't care so does anybody care so it's hard with i'll say this it's hard it's easy for it's easy for the reports when the abuse is physical right because Mm -hmm. they remove that person from the house you can have them arrested because they see the physical part so it could have easily been to a point where my husband would give me a black eye I could have called the police, but I didn't because, you know, with domestic violence, there's a cycle. And of course, he said he loved me and was going to stay with me forever. And he mm-hmm. was and he apologized. And I, I never reported the physical abuse at all. But when I was at the hospital and got admitted with the emotional abuse, I tell people all the time, and this is military, civilian, anybody, a domestic violence survivor, even with the reports of trauma, even with everything that's documented, a survivor of domestic violence will not leave a situation until they have had up until they are ready to leave. You can't force them. You can't take them. You can't come pick them up. You can't take them to a shelter. You can't say, hey, you need to leave. I'm going to come get you. You can't. You just you just can't. And I, I hate to say that, but it's the truth. I left. Um, you will hear, and it's the truth, that a survivor domestic violence will leave their situation at least seven to ten times before they finally decide to leave. I left my domestic violence situation with my children in tow at least seven times um, before I decided to make the final decision that I had enough. So you can't, with the reports, anything like that, it's it's a psychological thing with a domestic violence survivor. It's like Mm -hmm. that they, they have to be back, they have to stay in the relationship to make it work. And like I said, you can't force a domestic violence survivor to leave until they hit rock bottom. You can be there for them. You can support them. If they need a place to stay, that's great. I stayed in many houses um, while I was leaving. But until they hit, I was almost close to divorce the first time from my ex-husband. Um, but until they hit rock bottom, a domestic violence survivor, especially with their psychological things that are going on in their head, 
they won't be ready to leave and they can't be forced to leave until they're ready to leave. So, yeah, because I can imagine there's so many different things that are running through your mind, especially if you have kids too. And then the financial situations, all these different things are probably weighing like on your mind. Like, is it if I do this, we're going to be hurting financially or whatever the case is? You know, are they going to believe me like you were talking about earlier? So, there's a, I can only imagine that that how that is and i can see that being the case like you said you know you gotta hit that rock bottom for you to say okay enough's enough like fuck it kind of you know we gotta we gotta do this we gotta pull the plug and make some changes and then for me it's even harder and that's kind of why i i speak out especially for the military um community the ones that are still serving and especially with like the military spouse community because it happens quite frequently uh, with military spouses them it's it's even harder to leave sometimes because often with military spouses what you will see is not always the case but often with military spouses what you will see is that the abuser is the breadwinner the abuser is the one that is having them and and giving them the ability to stay on base if they have base housing the abuser is the one that has all the health insurance and all the benefits that come with being in the military <laughs> And oh, the abuser sometimes is very high ranking. So, you know, if that survivor or that military spouse goes to report, you know, their their husband, it could be wife too, um, is abusing them, you know, a lot of times no one believes them because they're like, oh, no, this person is highly decorated. He went to, to war two or three times. He's an amazing squared away guy. I'm saying guy just for this example. He's an amazing mm-hmm. squared away guy. Um, there's no way he can be doing this. So they, they often suffer in silence because one, nobody believes them. And two, they're so scared to speak up because they're going to lose everything that they have that is associated with them being in that married to that military member. So I, I always talk about it a lot from a military and military spouse perspective, a veteran perspective too, as well, because sometimes we have issues speaking out. It's a little bit easier sometimes for us to speak out because we don't have that strict stringent rule that we can't report or go anywhere we need to but for those still serving and the military spouses it's it's really the ones those are the ones that i really really like to speak out for because they're still kind of in a situation where they want to speak out but they have a fear of speaking out because of the repercussions that could happen to them if they do speak out so. yeah yeah i'd never even thought about that even just that all the benefits you have Mm-hmm. when you're married in the military like mm-hmm. you said you know base housing i know like if i think in the navy it's like if you're an officer you get base housing and stuff like that and base access you got all the, the tax-free shopping in the world and mm-hmm. free health and medical yep. And, yep. and then college even there's so many perks that come with it you know so i can see that being you know the case you know especially like you said if it's a high-ranking officer or individual enlisted person even and they have that rapport with the military or in higher ranking officials like hey this person never gets in trouble like they're the most squared away freaking and sailor uh whatever it is that we have so your word almost holds no weight you know who are they going to believe that this individual has an entire command backing them up versus you by yourself Mm-hmm. I could see that. It, I've never even thought about that, but that mm-hmm. got to be just the mental, like it's mind f- from hell right there. It's just hard. knowing that you're kind of alone. And you're probably away from your family at the same time if you're <laughs> in that situation. So, I mean, you could be from the East Coast, but stationed on the West Coast. And now yeah. you're all alone. Nobody's there to really help you. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, like, it kind of makes me wonder if, like, in some cases, if other spouses have reached out to other spouses and they're like, Hey, my husband or wife's been doing this to me. And they're like, well, that's, that's just normal. That's kind of what, what I'm to expect. Sure. You know, I don't have, I have a friend luckily who's also happens to be one of my founders of the organization who happens to be a military spouse and happens to <laughs> the founder of a military spouse sorority. So she always gives me like the insight um, about military spouses from what she hears from her own military spouses. And, and she said, yeah, that does, that is something that definitely, definitely happens that, oh, wow. you know, that it's just something that's normal and military spouses are supposed to, I don't want to, 
I guess military spouses have a certain expectation that's put upon them from the military. Like they're just supposed to be um, the kind of women or men, the kind of women who are just um, submissive, the kind of women that just listen to their husbands, that join the military spouses club and do all these things for the military members. So really for military spouses, the main focus is really just on making sure you're being a good spouse and making sure you're being a good parent or, or mom, mm. stay at home mom. In a lot of cases, it is a stay at home mom to your children. And you don't really have a say in anything because you can't really say anything because you're not financially set. You're not financially stable to, to have it on your own. So it's either you stay in this situation with your abuser or you leave and don't have anything and your kids don't have anything. And, and then you have to figure out how to make it on your own. So often, you know, the latter of the two is that you stay in the relationship and just kind of stick it out because you don't want to lose that livelihood that you have for your kids. And you don't want to lose that livelihood that you have for yourself. See, that's sad to, to think like, like how you, you even said your friend has those stories where somebody reaches out to another spouse, military spouse, and they, you know, almost like shut up and be grateful, you know, like that's how it is sometimes. That's, I mean, that's how they sometimes look at, that's how they sometimes look at military spouses is that they're really, I'm not just going to say that's the perception of the military yeah. spouse is that they're just supposed to just grin and bear it and take whatever they can take. And you have amazing, this isn't all of them. You have amazing, you know, spouses that are out there that are great, yeah, great providers and supporters. But you also have those who just believe that the role of the military spouse is just to be a military spouse. And, and that's it. And you don't really have a say so in anything but to to take care of my needs and to take care of, of, of what I need. So, And that's where, like, and that, I was even just thinking, like, the mindset of, like, somebody that, that's the abuser or the attacker I mean, I feel like from what I've seen and like read before, they're pre-calculated in that sense. You know, they know like, hey, I got you like pigeonholed. Yeah. You have no friends or family here. Oh, my goodness. Woo. It's just you and the kids. It's Yes. Everything you have is because of me and nobody's going to believe you. And you know what? That's not even even with military spouses. That's even in general. Mm -hmm. uh, you know. Not with military spouse, but even in general, like there's what I like to use the terminology of which is goes around in the domestic violence community of, of a narcissist. And mm. a lot of the times the abuser of domestic violence, the perpetrator will always make it seem like to the outside world and to the outside society, they are perfect in every way. They have it going on. There's no way. And eventually, sometimes your friends and family start to believe them, too, because of the way they, they, they carry themselves outside. And they're like, Rowena, are you... I had one somebody say to me, Rowena, are you sure? Because it doesn't look like this is something that he could do. But not really knowing what's going on on the inside. And because of the way he portrayed himself, he made himself be this perfect man on the outside. So there was no way that he could do what he was doing to Rowena. You never got to see any physical scars, so there was no abuse happening physically. And who it's really hard to prove emotional scars because you can't prove emotional scars and emotional abuse. So it's really my word against his. And because mm -hmm. of the way he carried himself, a lot of times people would believe him over me because he was educated, smart, um, had a lot of stuff going on, but they didn't see what was happening internally to me. So narcissists have a way of making themselves look good in front of everybody else and making you look like you're crazy and like you're the one who's making stuff up so that's just uh, that's just a psychological part of domestic violence that that's really yeah that's yeah that, that's the hard part <laughs> yeah that's, like yeah. like it may be like what you're saying too like the the verbal attacks and stuff i can if that's all that happens, say, if, I mean, not to say it's not like a, an easy thing to still go through, but if there's no physical abuse and it does come to just verbal and mental attacks and stuff, but like you said, that's got to be just even twice as hard to be like, hey, look, this dude, this person's doing it to me. But then, like you said, it's a he, she, she said versus he said. And 
and you can't really prove mm -mm. mental stuff versus the physical stuff. So nope. like it's even got me thinking now as someone has never gone through this uh, type of those type of things. But uh, like if it if you're going strictly through mental and, and and those type of abuses and where it's all verbal and messing with you mentally, is there those chance or do you, I wonder if individuals hope that one day they snap and actually hit them so they can prove or do something to them to say, Hey, look, this person is doing it to me. Or, or are you just hoping that like I can get out of here? No, for, for me, and I can only speak for myself. Like the, the physical was absolutely there, but mm -hmm. I, even with the the verbal part, it's with the verbal part, it, it just came down to a point where I had to have in my head, like I had to have a plan. I had to think about when I was going to leave. Um, I had to find his schedule and his timing to make sure I left when I knew he was going to be gone. So even if you're just going through it emotionally and verbally, um, eventually it will start to take a toll and eventually like i said you'll hit the rock bottom where you know that you just can't take it anymore and and when i realized oh, that sorry. it was like i didn't want you know my daughter my oldest one thank god never saw the physical part because mm. I, that's something i would never let her to see um she dealt with the verbal abuse and she dealt with the things that her mom was going through and i, I think for me i didn't want her to be in that situation any longer than she had to. Um, so that was my why. And sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes you just have to find out, you know, what is your your why and what is the reason that you're staying in this relationship for so long? And, and what is the things that are keeping you from staying in this relationship for so long or having you stay in the relationship for so long? So for me, it was my, it was my girls. Like I couldn't have, I couldn't possibly be a role model to my girls and teach them about healthy relationships and, and self-esteem and self-confidence and self-worth while they're, and my youngest one was a baby at the time, so it doesn't really apply to her, but uh, while they're seeing mommy get abused and, and mommy being called out her name, and for me, it was just making sure my girls had a sense of self and, and know that, you know, mommy wants to do what's best for them. So that's kind of the reason why I left, but with verbal, with verbal abuse, it's, it's, it's tricky and it's hard and it can't be proven. It's not something that you can call the cops for because mm -hmm. this doesn't make sense. I, I tried it and it didn't work. So, <laughs> um, it's not something that you can call the police for because you kind of have to have some kind of evidence and some kind of proof and a narcissist will always make it seem to other people like you're the crazy one like I, I did try to call the cops one time and when the cops came you know um, I tried to tell them what was happening they heard my side they heard his side his side was more believable so of course they went with his side and they were like you know there's really nothing we can do because it's there's no bruises there's no scars but not knowing the emotional scars that that they came with it so it just got to point where like I said every domestic violence survivor whether physical mental but also financial abuse too Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's going to get to a point where they just hit rock bottom and they're just going to find that reason and find the perfect time for them to leave, whether it's on the spur of the moment or whether it's planned. That's, that's just with, with every kind of survivor, it just gets to a point where you just have to, to hit rock bottom and just say you can't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, with all your experience, mm -hmm. everything you went through and stuff and then starting SOS, mm -hmm. um, like obviously you had the personal experience, but how long uh, did it take you to come up with the starting your, your nonprofit, you know, to be like, Hey, no, we're doing this. We're going to, I'm going to go out and start helping other individuals. Oh. Um, oh, well, I can actually say that the my never started in my head as a nonprofit. It was <laughs> in really at the wake of the Vanessa case that, I saw that they needed to do something. So I gathered a few of my friends, two who happened to be those um, two female Air Force members still serving, one military spouse. And we decided, hey, we want to do a 5K. Let's do a 5K. Um, we believe 5K is for survivors of sexual assault in the military. So 
came up with the idea. We we decided, you know, at the time we were a nonprofit, so we had to give back to someone. So we gave back to protect our defenders, and um, it was really successful. We were able to get back like close to ten thousand to protect our defenders. Oh, for, wow! Yeah, for that. And after that, you know, I got them. I was like, you know, I think that you know, sexual assault is now in the forefront. Everyone's talking about it now. A lot of people are speaking out now. Um, maybe we want to go ahead and start a nonprofit for survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. Since one of my founders who's in the Air Force, um, she's a sexual assault survivor. Um, my military spouse is a military spouse survivor. I'm a domestic violence survivor. And then I have another member who is a sexual assault survivor too. So all of us have those things in common. And we just said, hey, let's go ahead and start a nonprofit. And in February, I took a year off. I don't know what was going on in 2021, but there was a lot going on um, mentally for me. So I took a break, but then I got back on it in February of 2022. We officially became a nonprofit then. And like our goal is, you know, I know you'll see the things that we're doing, but our, our main objective, of course, is the backpacks for survivors where we fill backpacks and give them to a local domestic violence shelter um, each month. Um, and do our speaking engagements, too, about topics like self-love, self-worth, um, healthy relationships to these shelters. But really our main thing and our main objective that we want to do and the reason why you see these Instagram lives and stuff like that is we want to make sure that we get the message out about military survivors um, and, and what we go through and the trauma that we go through in the military as veterans and as military spouses. And a lot of times it, it's hard to find those avenues um, in local resources. And it's hard to find those things in like your local domestic violence shelter. So sometimes we'll just do the podcast because, well, not podcasts, the lives, because we hope that someone is watching who's a veteran or who's a military member. Um, I often have people on who are veterans or military members that can share their stories about what they go through. Um, and for me, the most important type of healing and sometimes the most important type of effect you can have on someone is sharing your own story and, and making sure that those people out there know that they're not going through it alone. I think a lot of military members and veterans and military spouses believe that they're alone and they suffer in silence a lot of times. So I just want to be a platform to make sure that, you know, to tell them you're not alone, you're not by yourself. You know, I've been through it. My founders have been through it. There's so many other people out there who have been through it. So while you may not be ready for talk therapy yet, which is a lot of veterans and military members aren't ready for talk therapy, maybe this is a platform that you can listen to and, and, and hear from survivors' perspectives. Um, because for me, I guess, and I told this to someone the other day, you know, we can talk to someone that's a therapist. We can talk to someone who is a professional. And that's great. And that's always an amazing outlet when you're ready to do that. But often they don't understand what it's like being a military member, what it's like being a military spouse, and what it's like being a veteran. So often hearing it from someone like myself who's been through it, someone like um, a military sexual assault survivor who's been through it, who can talk through it, it's often more relatable to them than it is talking to a professional who really has never been in their shoes and don't have an understanding. So that's really why we found it. We believe USOS. Um, we wanted to be a voice for the voiceless and to make sure that the military community knows that if no one else believes you, because it happens a lot, that we believe you. So that's, that's kind of where we are. That's awesome. I love the message too, because it's so true when it comes to like, that's one thing that's been for me doing these episodes and talking to people I've, I've talked to It's almost therapeutic for myself. I've yeah. told my wife that, you know, it's all the things that tr like troubled me when I first got out of the military for so long and then talking to other veterans over the course of almost a year now, mm -hmm. it's like, man, it's really in a weird way makes me feel better, you know, knowing that, Hey, I can, now I got some friends through this and, we talk about stuff all the time and it's cause it's like you said, it's those things that's hard to, to share with just anybody, even if it's like a parent, my parents would understand yeah. 
those aspects of being in the military, but even somebody in a totally different branch, somebody served in a different time, went through different experiences. There's some still camaraderie and something you can at least lean on. Like there's more, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but it's almost like more open arms for some reason. Cause they're kind of gone through that same, like you said, that same experience. That's what's so great yeah. about what you guys are doing. You know, it's, Cause it, it, it's an, it's starting to become a major topic and mm -hmm. because a lot of folks just like in the past with other traumas don't like to speak out and don't like to say anything, oh. but then something significant happens and yeah. we become reactive. And then it's like dang it. 20 things to make sure it, 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 it's resolved. So like. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I've seen some of the stuff you have on your, I think it was on your Instagram too. You have like a, a list for Amazon stuff on there for folks to. Oh, we do. Sometimes I forget about stuff that. I... Yeah, I saw that. And I was like, oh, that's super cool. <laughs> um... <laughs> so, so the thing that I have right now is it's my birthday in a few days. So. Oh man. Um, <laughs> no, so I am just you know, it it gets expensive to run a nonprofit, right? Because. <laughs> so bad and i've been told by other people where we know you know you gotta make sure you do this but you know sometimes I'll, I'll come out of pocket and do my own thing you know sometimes i'll use my own finances and my own resource because that's just something that i want to do because i, I never want anyone to feel and to go through what i went through and and while i was fortunate enough and blessed enough to be able to find a place you know there's some survivors out there that aren't in my situation there's some survivors out there that when they leave they literally have like like nothing like for a while, right? They don't have clothing. They don't have soap. They don't have a place to go. And even if they do go to a shelter, you know, they still rely on the resources that are given to them from the community. So I never want a survivor to be in a situation where they have to feel like they're without. So like a lot of our Amazon wish list will include like full body washes, soap, um, journals, backpacks, because we just don't, like I said, we just don't want survivors to feel that they have nothing like when they leave their situation and that's the other reason we go out to speak in events too because we want to make sure that you know care of in that way too as well with self-love and self-worth but yes my amazon wish list is there <laughs> <laughs> no that's awesome um man i just saw something else i hadn't even thought of i know we're kind of getting pressed for time but yeah. uh like you say when when they get out of their situation and they go to shelters, I wonder, you know, it makes me, it makes me wonder how many end up becoming homeless. How many victims end up becoming homeless because oh. of that? Oh my goodness. There is, I don't have a slide in front of me right now, but I can tell you in, um, with domestic violence, especially for the military, um, a lot of it, um, leads to veteran women, homelessness as well as sexual assault survivors. A lot okay. of survivors for females and domestic violence survivors for females, um, they do end up homeless. And the same, I mean, it's the same on the civilian side too. And I think that it's just difficult because you are, when you leave, for the domestic violence survivor, when you leave, you have to leave, like, you have to be quick on your feet when you leave. You have to leave at the spur of the moment, or you have to kind of have a plan. And when you have a plan, that doesn't mean, you know, I have to take all my furniture. I have to take all my clothes. I got to take everything. You, you have to leave, like, at that right moment, at that right time. Because if you don't, then you'll never get that opportunity. Or you'll have to wait longer till you leave. So when that survivor does something like that, you know, they're often thinking, the only thing I want to do is get out, and that's it. I don't care what I have. That's what I did. I, don't, I didn't care what I have. And I had a lot of resources. Um, but I didn't care what I had. I, I had... I had furniture that I bought in the house, brand new. I had a lot of stuff that I had. I just took the clothes on my back, my youngest daughter. I went to go live with a friend for about 30 to 60 days um, in her house with my two kids <laughs> until I could find a place on my own. And I, I took nothing. Like, I took nothing. And that is what survivors face. Like, when you leave, you're not thinking about what you can take because that will just prolong the process. You just have to leave when you have to leave. And they have, like I said, next to nothing. So we just want to be able to give back to those survivors who 
were brave enough and, and had the strength enough to to leave that situation and, and make sure that they're still taken care of, even when um, they might be stay, staying in a shelter and let them know that there is still hope. You know, you were courageous enough to take that first step. And, and, and I'm telling you, it may seem hard in the beginning. It is hard. I'm not going to say it may seem. It is hard in the beginning when you first leave. You have thoughts that you want to go back and you, you want to make the relationship work. And, you know, we want them to know that, you know, we support them and, and, and we're here for them and that we want to make sure that they're just taken care of. So that's that's just the bottom line, just making sure the survivors are taken care of, that they have their needs met emotionally and with, you know, resources as well. Well, that I mean, I guess in a sense, I know everything happens for a reason, even if it's bad, but it's led you and your your colleagues to this point where now you guys have this cool platform, this massive platform, hopefully where you guys are helping everybody that, that you can or all the victims that come up to you and the people that reach out and ask for help. It, I think it's amazing that you're able to do that. You know, it's in, in a day and age where it's, we have all this technology where we can communicate at any time with anybody and people still don't like to share <laughs> what they're going through and their, whatever obstacles are, are, are in front of them. It, it's nice to know that there's someone out there like yourself and your company doing doing these things, trying to bridge that gap, you know. Um, so, yeah, thank you again so much for coming on and rolling with the, the waves here because I know it was freaking nuts to get this thing going. And then last week I had a bail. I was, man, I was sick as a dog last week. So, um, yeah, I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your, your late evening over there. Happy birthday. So have some fun. <laughs> and, uh, Friday, so I'm excited. <laughs>